Good morning, Church. Today's reading is taken from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Stephen, and to Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, whom Jedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the Lord of Israel, says to all those I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the law says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carry you into exile. This is the word of God. Great, thank you so much. Let's pray together as we ask God to speak to us from his word. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, as we come to your word this morning, we are not interested in hearing the opinions of man. We're not interested in just hearing a uh, prep talk. God, we want to meet with you in your word And we want to hear, God, what you have to say to us. We want to hear what it means to live in and to love the city of Hong Kong to which you've called us in this time and this space. And so, God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and help us, God, to understand your word, help me, God, to make it clear. Lord, I pray that today we will leave this place with a real sense of commissioning from you, with the sense of calling to this city of Hong Kong, knowing what it means to be your people in this city at this time. And so, God, we pray that you will help us to do this in your wonderful and your gracious name. 
Amen. Well, once again, welcome and good morning. It's wonderful to have uh, to be with you this morning. And um, yeah, thank you for being here. I wonder if you have ever received an unexpected letter. Maybe you received an email sometime that uh, you were not expecting. Well, in 2011, I received an email uh, that was unexpected, um, and it was it came from a real estate agent that my wife and I had um, uh, used two years previously to buy an apartment in Cape Town when we first got married, and the subject line said, offended, and this is what it says. It says, hi, Kevin, you have sent me a Twitter response from a photo you have found of me. I take great offense at what you've said on your Twitter post to me. You profess yourself to be the greatest follower of God. I don't think so. After what you've posted on the Twitter wall, you are a false person. Kind regards, Erica. No, no, she didn't say kind regards. She just said Erica. And so out of the blue, I get this, this email. You are a false hypocrite. That's it. Well, what had happened was I had a very short-lived Twitter account. Uh, it only lasted for about six months, and I realized that it was very bad news for me. And somebody had hacked this Twitter account, who had clicked on some link, and it sent a, a, a message to all of my contacts saying, I found an embarrassing photo of you online, and I can't stop laughing. Ha, 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 ha. And this person had, take, had taken it seriously and had sent this email to me declaring me to be this false hypocrite. Well, today we're looking at this letter in Jeremiah 29 that uh, the prophet Jeremiah sends to God's people in Babylon. And it's a very surprising message. As far as messages go, Jeremiah's letter to God's people must have seemed one of the most bizarre letters for them to ever receive. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most famous verses in Christendom, right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future, to prosper you, to make you wealthy, and for everything to go wonderful in your life. And Christian businesses love putting this verse on all sorts of funny merchandise, right? Coffee mugs, t-shirts, pens, journals, I wonder how many of us have something at home with this verse on it, right? The only thing is if those mug manufacturers know, knew what was going on, they might want to start looking for a different verse. Because what are the plans that God has for His people in the book of Jeremiah? Well, it goes something like this. These plans involved Israel's arch enemies, the Babylonians, marching into Jerusalem tearing down the city walls, destroying the city gates, burning the temple, desecrating everything sacred and holy to God's people, essentially leaving Jerusalem in ruins. And the people, some of them they killed, some of them they left behind, but most of them they marched off to Babylon under chain and lock and key, and there they would serve their arch enemies who valued and loved and esteemed everything that was unholy and terrible and pagan to God's people. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Well, stick that on your coffee mug and drink that around the office, right? I mean, these plans don't sound very wonderful 
at all. Jeremiah 29 is written to God's people that are about to be taken into exile in Babylon from the glory of the city of God in Jerusalem to Babylon. And the reason for this was not mere geopolitical issues or bad luck or misalignment of the stars. No, the reason for this is the hand of the sovereign God. For centuries, God has been speaking to his people. He's been telling them and warning them of their idolatry, of their sin. And uh, God's people are not listening. They are loving the nations around them, the glory of man more than the glory of God, as I confessed to earlier. They are just like the nations, and God has been speaking to them, but to no avail. Listen to Isaiah chapter 30. God says, this is what the Holy Lord says, the Holy One of Israel. In repentance and in rest, you will be saved. In quietness and in trust will be your strength. But you were unwilling. You said, no, we will flee upon horses when our enemies come. Therefore, you shall flee away. You said, we will ride in swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. And so because of Judah's constant rebellion, constant idolatry and sin, God has brought the Babylonians against Judah as his instruments of discipline and judgment. In fact, in 2 Kings 25, we read something of what happened when the Babylonians came. And you read about their final departure. And one of the final acts of the Babylonians, I'm going to move this, is um, they took the, the last king, King Zedekiah, And uh, one of the things they did was they killed his children in front of his eyes and then plucked out his eyes before marching him off to Babylon so that the last thing he saw and the last memory he would have was seeing his children being killed before him. Nebuchadnezzar made sure that nothing of value was left standing, buildings, gold and silver, everything was desecrated. And one preacher, Stephen Rain, says it like this, It is impossible to exaggerate the trauma of the events that unfolded with the overflow of Jerusalem. Everything of value to these people, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, had been ripped away from them. Psalm 137 captures something of the mourning and the hopelessness and the the, the pain that God's people felt. Listen to what it says. Psalm 137, By the waters of Babylon... There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, Jerusalem. On the willows there we hung our lyres. There our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of old. How shall we sing of the Lord's song in a foreign land? O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. And Derek Kidner, an Old Testament scholar, says every line of this psalm is alive with pain as God's people find them taken away from their homeland and living in this foreign land ruled by people that had no regard for the things of God. They find themselves lost and confused. What should we do in Babylon? Friends, a warning to us is maybe, maybe some of us feel like it's okay to live a double life. I mean, these Christians here, they're going to know nothing, right? 
if only these suckers knew what is really going on in my life. I mean, it's so easy. I just come to church. I, I put on the Christian smile. I say the right things. Nobody even knows what's going on in my life. Friends, one of the things the Bible wants to tell us is that God will not be mocked. And when you sow to destruction, you will reap destruction. God's warning is severe to us here. And so throughout the Bible, Babylon is described as the symbol of everything that is evil and wrong with the world. Genesis 11 describes the Tower of Babel. Babel is a foreshadow of Babylon. And do you remember how the people built the Tower of Babel? They said, who is God? We will be our own gods. Let us build a monument to our own glory. And so Babylon is the supreme superpower of the world. It's all about money. It's about power. It's about lights and glitz and glamour. It's about the glory of man. It's the ultimate city of man. And so the question here is, what should God's people do when they are called to live in the city of man? Well, into this context, Jeremiah writes them a letter. And the contents of the letter is the last thing that they expect to hear. Because in this letter, God tells them that their exile to Babylon is both God's judgment on their sin but also an act of redemption. That if they will trust God and turn to Him and love Him above all things, while they are on Babylon, God will renew them and refine them. And in that place, God will start to build the city of God in their hearts, but also in the city of man. That if they will look to to God and who He is, if they will hold on to Him and trust Him, in this pagan world and city of Babylon, God will do something in them and refine them and redeem them and give them hope. And so Jeremiah's main point in this letter is their being in Babylon is not some cosmic mistake. If you've got your Bible, look at verse 4 with me. He says in verse 4, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into Babylon from Jerusalem. God has sent them there. They're not just there because of geopolitical issues. They're not there because of Nebuchadnezzar's great military power. They're there because of the hand of the sovereign God. God has orchestrated things. And so Jeremiah tells them not to chafe against God sending them there, but rather to embrace it because God in His sovereignty will use them even in the city of Babylon for the purposes of God. In a sense, you could say God sent them not as captives, but as missionaries. That in their own hearts and in the city, God is going to start to build the city of God in the city of man. Now, what does that mean for us here in Hong Kong? Friends, maybe some of you have been sent to Hong Kong. Maybe some of you don't really want to be here. Maybe all the difficulties of the last three years... You're starting to wonder, is this really the place that I want to be? Friends, maybe for some of us, the power and the prestige and the glitz and the glamour and the glory of Hong Kong has worn thin. And you're wondering, what does it mean to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to serve God in the city? Well, I think the letter that Jeremiah writes to the people of God in Babylon 
has a couple of very practical applications for us here in Hong Kong. And so let's look at four of them. How should God's people live in Babylon? How should we live in Hong Kong? Well, the first thing God says is, put down your roots. Look at verse 4 to 9 with me. If you have uh, the passage in front of us, this is what Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not increase. Uh, do not decrease. Sorry, increase, do not decrease. When the, the Israelites first went off to Babylon, some of the prophets back in Jerusalem were saying, listen, God is just letting off some steam it's going to be a year or two. Just let's just stay in our little Jewish enclave. Don't get too involved. Just don't unpack your bags. Live out of your suitcases. Before you know it, we are going to go back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah writes them and says, don't you believe it? God has sent you here and put down some roots here. Look at verse uh, 10. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promises and bring you back to Jerusalem. Jeremiah tells them, this is not a short-term plan. Unpack your bags. Don't just stay in a service department. Buy a place. Put down your roots. 70 years you're going to be here in Babylon. And the reason is because God wanted to do something in them that he could only do in them when they were in Babylon, there was a refining that God wanted to do that would only happen as they presenced themselves in the city of Babylon and learned to live out their faithfulness to God in that place. Look at verse 12. He says, Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Well, the one thing God's people haven't been doing is seeking God. But as he takes them into Babylon, there in Babylon, they're going to learn what it means to really follow God and trust God. In Jerusalem, it's easy to follow God. You've got the temple, you've got the priests, you've got the songs. Oh, it's easy to be a follower of God in Jerusalem. But there in the city of, uh, the city of man, God is going to teach them what it really means to seek him and find him. And friends, in the same way, there is something about living in the midst of a busy, bustling city that has lots of change going on. There are people leaving, political uncertainty, economic uncertainty, lots of going on. Sometimes it's easy to say, let us flee, let us run away. And there's something that God wants to do in us and through us as we put down our roots in this city and say, God, we will serve you in this place. And so look what he says. He says, put down roots, build houses, be on the lookout for daughters-in-law. If you've got sons, this is a good verse for you, right? In other words, make yourselves at home. Don't see yourself here as a temporary assignment. Unpack your bags. I want you to settle down and put your roots here. Look at what he says in um, verse 6, I think it is. He says, plant gardens, eat the produce, be fruitful and multiply, multiply and do not decrease. What does that remind you of? Where else in the Bible does God say, be fruitful and multiply? In the Garden of Eden, right? 
What's God saying them to here? Saying to them, He's saying, even in Babylon, I want you to be a picture of the Garden of Eden. I want you to live out your creation mandate, to walk with God and to walk with man, to care for the world, to cultivate it, to to cultivate culture. I want you to take something of the mandate that I gave your forefathers in Eden and live it out in the midst of Babylon, in the place in which you live. God is calling them to be a picture of heaven and earth. Now, what does that mean for us here in Hong Kong? Well, you know, one of the phenomenons of a big city like Hong Kong, uh, in fact, all big cities of the world, one of the phenomenons is that many people move into a city to use the city for what they can get out of it. And so we come to Hong Kong for a job assignment, and maybe you think, I'm here to grow myself professionally, to grow myself personally, I'm here to get some life experience. I'm here to progress my career for three or four years, and then I'll go back to where I came from. Or maybe you think I'm here to save some money. I'll make some good money, and then I can go and retire somewhere else. And so one of the temptations for a big city like Hong Kong is to come here and use the city without investing in its long-term good or its prosperity. Maybe your company has sent you here for a three-year assignment. But what would it look like if you were to say, God, maybe I'll stay here for four or five and invest in the long-term good of the city? Another challenge with big transient cities like Hong Kong is sometimes you get so tired of saying goodbye to people that you just think, I'm not going to build any friendships. I've got enough friendships. I'm tired of saying goodbye, and I will just you know, keep my three friends, and that's good enough for me. But what would it look like to invest in the people of the city, to really build friendships, to open up your homes, and to to not just harden your hearts knowing that people are going to leave, but to invest in the long-term good of the people of the city? Obviously, our city has gone through a lot of change in the last few years. And one of the questions that many people ask is, should I stay or should I go? That's not a bad question to ask. We've got to take care of our aging parents. You've got to look after your children and think of their future. But one of the questions that God's people should ask is, God, where are you calling me to? Where can I lay down my roots and, and put myself for, to be a long-term blessing to the city in which you've called me? God, are you wanting me to stay to contribute to the long-term good of the city? And so Jeremiah writes to the people in Babylon. He says, I know that you feel like you're living far from home, but make yourself at home there. Put down your roots. Invest in the city. You're there for a while. God is wanting to do something in you. Put down your roots. What would it look like for the church of Hong Kong to put down our roots here for the long-term good of the city? Second thing we can learn from this passage is this. Seek the welfare of the city. Look at verse 7 with me. Jeremiah writes to these people of God in Babylon, and he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I, God, have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. Now, the word welfare here is the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, Many of you, I think, will know the word shalom. Shalom means something of peace, but it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. The word shalom describes the Garden of Eden. It's the place of holistic peace, uh, personal peace, psychological peace. It describes fullness and harmony, deep rest, spiritual, relational, economic rest, 
where all of life is marked by the harmony that God designed for us. Here, Jeremiah writes to the people of God in Babylon and says, Seek the shalom of the city in which you live. One of the main points of Scripture is that we'll never find deep-seated rest apart from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus' famous words in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, says Jesus. The grand narrative of Scripture is that we are created to live in a state of rest, a state of shalom. But our sin has separated us from God, cut us off from God, and so all of humanity, in a sense, is in exile. We're meant to live in Eden with God, but we are exiled from God's presence, and now we live in exile, away from God's presence. You remember the famous words of Augustine? He said, our hearts were made for you, O God, but our hearts will always be restless until we find our rest in thee. Well, look at what God says here. He says, to the people of God in Babylon, seek the shalom of the city into which I've called you. Seek its welfare. Well, how do we do that? Well, in one sense, we proclaim the gospel, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, nobody can have the peace of God without first being at peace with God. And so how do we seek the peace of the city? We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the wonder of Christ and His love. We tell all people everywhere, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never have peace in your heart apart from Christ. Jesus said, come to me, as we just said. I will give you rest. And so we go throughout the city proclaiming the wonder of Christ and the rest that's found in Him. So we proclaim the gospel. But we also live out the gospel and demonstrate the gospel. We, we call to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. And that means Christians live for the peace and the security, the justice, the prosperity of the entire city, not just for the Christian community. It means as citizens of heaven, as followers of Jesus, we should be the best possible citizens of the city, seeking its welfare. And so what that means as Christians, we learn how to live a countercultural narrative in our city. You know, sometimes as, as citizens, as Christians in the city, we can tend to do one of three things. Sometimes we can just retreat into our Christian bubble, and so we only hang out with Christians, and we only talk with Christians, and we only have social events with Christians, and everything's just Christian. And God says, no, no, don't do that. Go and live out your faith in the city. One, another way we do is we sometimes use the city. But actually God says, don't use the city, bless the city. Sometimes Christians, we mirror the values of the city. And God says, don't go mirror the values of the city. Go be a countercultural presence in the city in which you call to, to live. And so one of the ways we can do that is to demonstrate an alternative human culture, one that is based on the gospel. Christians can show the city of Hong Kong what it means to use power and money in a way that is not self-seeking, but serves the well-being of the city. Let me tell you a brief story. I was going to tell you later on, but one of my favorite stories about Six years ago, I was talking to a man by the name of El Bart. El Bart is a Presbyterian minister from New York. And um, he told me the story. One day he went to church. It actually wasn't his church. He was visiting another church. 
and he met a lady in the back row. And he said he, uh, he got chatting to her, and he said, you know, are you regular at church? And she said, no, I'm not a Christian. It's the first time I've ever come to this church. And he said, okay, well, what brought you to this church? And she says, I work um, in finance in New York City, and um, just recently I made a big mistake at work, and I cost my company a lot of money. And I knew I was going to get fired from my job. It was one of those career-limiting moves, right? And so I make this mistake, I realize, and the next day I've got a meeting with the boss of the company, and I know that I'm going to get fired from my, my job. And so I walk into this meeting with my boss, and my manager accompanies me into the meeting. And the boss is berating me and scolding me and telling me how useless I am, and my manager steps in and tells the boss It wasn't my fault, it was his fault. And my manager tells the boss, I didn't brief her properly. I didn't double check her work. If I had checked her work, we wouldn't have made this mistake. It was my fault, not her fault. And the boss, you know, it's a good manager, and so the boss says, okay, well, make sure it never happens again. Now get out of my office. And I keep my job. And I walk out of my boss's office, and I say to my manager, why on earth would you do that? You just took the fall for me. And my manager says to me, don't worry about it. Just make sure you don't do it again. She says, that night I can't sleep. I've never had somebody do that for me. And so I go to my manager the next day and I say, why would you take the fall for me? And my manager says, don't worry about it. Just get on with your job. Well, two weeks later, I still can't get this out of my head. And so I go to my manager a third time and I say, listen, in every company I've ever worked for, my managers have taken the credit when I worked hard and when I made a mistake, they were nowhere to be seen. You're the first person that's taken the fall for me. Why would you do that? And he looks me in the eye and he says this, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus Christ took the fall for me. And therefore, it's easy enough for me to take the fall for others. Friends, here is a man in the heart of New York City, in the hustle and the bustle, who could have easily just stepped back and let her take the fall. But here was someone who sought the welfare of a colleague who was not a Christian, who knew nothing of his faith and didn't even want to know about Jesus. And this lady turns to him and says, I don't know your God and I don't know who you are, but tell me what church you go to. I want to find out more about him. And so here Jeremiah says to these people, Seek the welfare of the city. Go and live your faith in the city. Go and bring, seek the shalom and the welfare of it. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Taxi drivers, Uber drivers, colleagues, you give them gospel books, you invite them to a Christmas event on the 18th or the 25th of December. It's the only way they're going to try and find true and lasting peace. It means getting to know your neighbors caring for their burdens, taking a meal to them when something goes wrong or they've just moved in or they've just had a baby. It means paying a fair and adequate wage to those that work for us, either in our companies or in our homes. It means not spending your entire budget on yourself, but portioning an allocation of your budget, a portion of your budget to serving and blessing the city. It means extending genuine grace and forgiveness to those that have hurt us or wronged us or seeking reconciliation. Friends, it means opening up our lives, opening up our homes 
to, to those that are outsiders, including them in our lives. It means fostering a child or maybe even being open to adopt a child that doesn't have parents. Maybe for some of us that are lawyers, it means working in NGOs or advocating government on policies that are going to be good for the city. It means seeing our work not just as a job, but a way of contributing to the welfare of the city. What we're talking about here is, Tim Keller talks about this in, in his book, Ministries of Mercies. He says, what we want to do is not use the city to build a great church. We want to use the resources within the church to build a great city. What would it look like if Shartan was a better city because Shartan Anglican Church was here? What would it look like if Hong Kong was a better city? Because there's a group of people called Shartan Anglican that have committed to serving the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city to which God has called you. Here's the third thing that we're called to do. That's know that the city is not your ultimate home. Now, it's not in the slides. I forgot to put this in. One of the things that God's people were called to do in Babylon was to live there and make themselves at home there, but to know that it wasn't their ultimate home. And so they were to serve the city, knowing that one day their redemption and their liberation is going to come, and so they could serve the city in which they lived, but they didn't need to put all their hope or their identity in the city, okay? And friends, as Christians, we call to do the same. We call to put down roots Love the city, serve the city, but know that the city isn't your ultimate home. There is a deliverance and a redemption that is coming. For some of us, it may be in our lifetime. For some of us, it may be beyond our lifetime. But there is a true and final resting place, a true home to which Jesus will take us. And that means that you don't need to put all your stock and all your hope and all your identity in the things of the city. Look at verse 12. He says, You will call upon me and come and pray to me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes, gather you from the nations, the places to which I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Friends, we get to love and serve the city of Hong Kong, but we don't need to find our hope here. We don't need to find our identity here in the things of this world or the people of this world or what this city offers us. And that means that sometimes in the city things are going to go wrong. Some of us may get a bad medical report. Friends, some of us will lose our jobs. Some of us will be treated badly by colleagues. Some of us will be used and abused by the system here. This city is not your ultimate home. Friends, some of us maybe are deeply frustrated by what's happened the last three years. God calls us to love the city, but not to tie our heart's affection and hopes to the city. We can serve the city without needing to find our hope here. Friends, your plans may evaporate. Your dreams may be crushed. Your life may even be snuffed out here. But if you are in Christ, the God who has called you, who raised Jesus from the dead, will raise you with him also. And so one day soon, very soon, Jesus is going to return. Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come back and take you there. Soon Jesus is going to come back and take us to our lasting home, a place where there will be no more tears and no more shame and no more agony and no more cancer and no more death and no more suffering. 
Jesus is going to take us home. We'll look at the final thing that we see in this passage, what Jeremiah says, and that is to pray for the city. He says, pray to the Lord on its behalf. He doesn't just say pray for the city. He says, pray on behalf of the city. It's almost using priestly language. He's almost saying, I want you to be priests to the city, to to bring the city before me, to stand on behalf of the city and pray for it. God is saying, these pagan Babylonians, they're not going to know how to call out to me. They're not going to pray to me, but they do need me. And I'm sending you into Babylon to pray for them on their behalf so that my favor can rest upon you and on the city to which I call you. Friends, remember, Babylon is Israel's arch enemy. They've burnt down the city. They've pulled down the walls. They've destroyed the temple. They've stolen the temple goods. They've desecrated the holy place. And now you want us to do what? You want us to pray for them? Jeremiah, have you lost your mind? Well, friends, it reminds me of another man who once prayed for his enemies. As he was being nailed to the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Friends, in a sense, all of us are Babylon. If it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, we would be just the same. If it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, we would be like those Roman officers nailing Jesus to the cross. If it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, we would have been like the people in Jerusalem shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus on the cross prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus prays for you and for I. Friends, I know that many of us are frustrated disillusioned and angry what's happened in our great city of the last for a couple of years. Could we pray for our great city? Could we pray for our great city? And the reason is twofold. One, because you pray for what you love and you love what you pray for. Sometimes as you pray for somebody and you pray for something, your heart grows fonder towards the thing that you pray for. And as we pray for our great city and we pray for our leaders and we pray for our political leaders, God will grow our hearts to love the people in the city of Hong Kong in a way that we wouldn't without praying for them. But the other reason is because it demonstrates the gospel, right? Friends, just like God's people in exile, God has plans and purposes for us despite the way that things may appear. If you are in Christ Jesus, God has a plan for your life too. It may not be very easy or rosy. It may be to send you to a place that you don't really want to go. But friends, God has plans for you to be conformed to the image of Christ by sharing in His suffering, but also by sharing in His redemption purposes in this city. And how can we know that? Because just like God's people of old, we too were rebels and sinners. God's judgment was upon us, and we too were sent into exile out of Eden. But God sent a word, not a letter like Jeremiah. He sent a word in flesh and blood. He sent the word of God in flesh, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came with a word for us, a message. Jesus came and said that if you will trust me and look to me, you will find your redemption. 
God sent his people into Babylon, Babylon as an act of judgment, but also an act of redemption. Jesus said, I will come and take your judgment for you on the cross that you can be redeemed and find redemption and reconciliation in me. And so Jesus would go to the cross and he would die on Mount Calvary. And he would take our punishment that we deserved. And he would reconcile us to God. Jesus would come and absorb the judgment that we deserve so that we can go into our cities no longer under judgment, but as agents of grace and hope and peace into our cities. And friends, now we can go into the great city of Hong Kong and love and serve our city and put down roots here and seek the welfare of our city and pray for our city, knowing that the city is not our home, but Jesus died so that one day we will go home with him. I have plans and purposes for you, says the Lord, to give you hope and a future. But those plans are for those that are in Christ, plans to bring redemption and hope to this city. And as you serve and love the city, you will find your welfare therein as well. And so Jeremiah tells God's people to do four things in the city, to put down roots and to make it home, to build the city of God in the midst of the city of man, to seek the shalom and the welfare of the city, to live here knowing that it's not our ultimate home, and finally to pray for it and to pray for God's blessing to rest upon it. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we, we acknowledge, God, that in many ways we are not too dissimilar from the people of Israel. God, their idols are our, our idols. Their faults are our faults. Lord, their sins are our sins. But Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross. God, thank you for bringing our hope and redemption. God, thank you that you call us that if we will die to ourselves, Lord, we will be raised with you. And so, Lord, I pray for us. I pray, God, that we will hope and trust in you. I pray that we will look to you more and more, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that more and more we will find our hope in you and in your grace and your mercy, and that as a result of that, we will be agents of grace and mercy in the city, that we will love the city. God, I pray for those of us maybe that are struggling, that are wondering how long we want to live here. Or maybe we've been sent here by our companies for a year or two. God, won't you give us a sense of calling and commissioning? May we hear your purpose for us to be in Hong Kong. That we're not here just by chance. We're not here just because of our company or economics. We're here because you've called us here to seek the welfare of our city and to bless it. God, I pray, won't you send us out into the great city of Hong Kong with a sense of commissioning, a sense of mission, a sense of purpose to love and serve the city as we love and serve you. We pray this, God, in, our one, in your wonderful and your gracious name. Amen.